Welcome to Lawyerly, the podcast for lawyers and those who love them. I'm your host, Sean Kennedy of Herrera Purdy. Today's episode of Lawyerly is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Array. Array manages the logistics of litigation so lawyers can focus on winning their cases. Learn more at trustarray.com. That's trustarray.com. Today, we're continuing our series called How Are You Doing Now? where we talk with lawyers who used to work for a big law firm called Howry. That is before Howry dissolved and went bankrupt in 2011. In this episode, we're catching up with Michael Turrell. Unlike our previous guests, he left a couple years before Howry's demise, and he didn't leave the big firm life. In fact, he's now at an even bigger firm. But we had a great conversation about Howry and its impact on his career. One note, you may notice that the audio for this episode sounds different than it usually does. That's because I accidentally unplugged the recorder. But thankfully, we still had Zoom audio, which is what you'll hear. Anyway, lesson learned. Stay away from the plug. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Lawyerly. My guest today is Michael Turrell, who is a partner with Hogan Lavelle's in Los Angeles. Am I pronouncing that right? Hogan Lovells? Hogan, uh, Hogan Lovells? Yeah. Hogan Lovells. Okay. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So tell me about your practice at Hogan Lovells. Uh, so I do uh, general commercial litigation, uh, which is broadly defined as a, a number of different categories, which uh, including um, consumer class action defense work, general commercial disputes, uh, including breach of contract, fiduciary duty issues, things of that nature. Uh, and then I more recently have uh, started practicing more in the area of employment litigation. So mostly defense of um, companies in employment related disputes. So I've always known you as a just a sort of general litigator, if that's fair. Um, is that sort of what you would characterize yourself as? still yes. yes i would um kind of a jack of all trades that's somewhat rare these days i would say it is and you know i do have certain industry focuses you know i, I do a lot of real estate related litigation for example so that there are areas where i i focus but yeah I, I would still describe myself as a fairly general commercial litigator you know, I think for me, it's always been driven by my clients, you know, legal needs. Um, and, you know, I have a pretty varied client base and they have a lot of different, um, you know, litigation issues that arise. So I guess I would say that I'm, you know, have always been more kind of client focused and, you know, been able to handle, you know, many different areas of litigation that, that come through the door, which I think is a benefit to my clients um, because mm -hmm. they, you know, they have a lot of issues. And so if you're able to handle a wide spectrum of litigation matters, um, I think it, you can, you know, kind of maximize your uh, usefulness to your clients. So that, that's kind of the way I've looked at it. Um, and also just from a everyday practice perspective, I like the variety of my practice. You know, I, I don't, I, I think if I were just doing the exact same thing every day, um, you know, at some point it would, it would start to get boring. Um, so 
in my practice, I, you know, on any given day, I may be working on a consumer class action case and then turn to an employment dispute and, and maybe a breach of contract claim. So, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, it, it keeps me on my toes, let's say. I think that's one of the most underrated aspects of litigation generally is the variety of things that come across your desk and the fact that you're always having to learn new things, whether it's new industries, whether it's new companies, um, business practices, you know, all, all kinds of things. And there's rarely a situation where it's, it's just a sort of a cookie cutter um, kind of approach. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it definitely, you know, having done this now for just about 25 years, it's, it's nice to have a, you know, a varied practice and a lot of variety in the types of cases and the types of businesses that, that I serve. So um, it's, you know, so far it's, uh, it's, it's worked out. How, how big of a firm is Hogan Levels? Uh, so Hogan Levels is massive. It's, it's one of the largest law firms in the world. Um, I think it's in the top 20. Uh, we have something like 48 offices around the globe. Um, I think approximately 3000 lawyers. Uh, so we're, you know, we're a big operation. Um, co-headquartered in Washington, DC um, and London. Uh, the, uh, the firm is the product of a merger that happened um, several years ago, actually before I joined the firm um, between Hogan and Hartson, which was a, a large US firm and Lovells, uh, which was a large British firm and um, hence the Hogan Lovells uh, name. That's a rather large firm, 3,000 plus lawyers. It's a lot, yeah. So sure. you've practiced, have you practiced at big firms your whole career? Yes, uh, pretty much. I mean, in, in varying sizes. Um, and But but Hogan Levels is certainly the, the largest of the firms that I've been at. Uh, what's, what's kept you sort of in the big firm environment? Uh, you know, that's, that's a great question. I, you know, I think um, a couple of things. Number one, um, the resources that big firms offer um, to support my practice. Uh, I've really just always enjoyed having access to, to those resources. So, you know, as you can imagine, we, we have a great team of, um, you know, all across the board from, from our, you know, associates who are terrific to our secretarial staff, paralegal staff, IT staff. Um, you know, just pretty much everything that you, you would need to support your practice is, is um, you know, at your fingertips. And um, so that, that really, to me, I like the practice of law um, and, you know, not having to really worry about the running of the business per se, um, you know, or paying, making payroll or, you know, dealing with, with those things. Um, you know, I, I, it, it allows me to really focus on, on practicing law and serving my clients. So I, I would say that's probably what's kept me in the, in the big firm um, arena. And, and, you know, frankly, Hogan Levels has been just terrific. It's really, um, although it's a very large firm, it's got a really great um, culture and uh, kind of a, you know, very much a collegial, supportive atmosphere um, in, in the practice of law, which, you know, which is not every massive law firm probably can can attest to that but we um it, it really does feel like a, a nice place to work even though it's a it's you know a massive operation so how how does that work in practice i know that any side any large firm 
um, sizable firm has issues with with culture and especially with across cities across cultures um, how does that work in a in a global firm as 3,000 lawyers you know it's a great question and and I'm probably not the the most qualified to answer it um, you know because uh, I, I'm not I don't serve on any um, of the you know leadership board or, or um, management committees um, and I'm relatively new to the firm in the in the sense that I've, I've been here for four years so you know a fair amount of time but but you know haven't been with the firm for a long long time I you know I will say that I always had heard before I joined Hogan Levels, I had always known that Hogan and Hartson, going back years before it was Hogan Levels, always had a very good reputation um, as a top law firm, as well as a really, you know, good working culture. Um, so I, I kind of knew that going into, you know, my search to when I decided to move about four years ago. Um, and when I met with folks at Hogan Levels, it was clear to me that they had been able to maintain that you know, really positive culture through the merger. Um, how they've done it, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it, I think in part it's, um, it's due to the leadership of the firm. And we've always had a really strong um, group of partners leading the firm who I think, you know, have put very, a, a lot of effort into keeping the culture, you know, what it was um, before the merger and, and fostering that culture uh, post-merger. Um, so it's, it's, you know, I, I think part of it is from my observation that, you know, we don't just go open offices for the sake of opening offices. You know, we, the firm seems to really be thoughtful about, you know, when they open an office, it's, it's with a group of lawyers that are going to fit into the culture. Um, and, and that's something that's very important to the firm. And I think they've, you know, done that, um, really very, very effectively from what, from what I've observed so far. How has the the culture uh, been affected? Do you think by COVID nineteen and people working remotely? Um, have you seen any kind of impact on on the firm that way? Yeah, it's it's obviously there's been some impact. Um, I, I think I've been I think we've all been pleasantly surprised by how well it's actually worked. Um, you know, of course, we miss being in a physical office space with our colleagues and, you know, being able to walk down the hall and grab coffee or, you know, chit chat um, or work together on a, on a matter in person. But, you know, with the advent of the zoom technology and, and those types of platforms, it's actually really worked very well. Um, so we, you know, we can hold partner meetings with the global partnership uh, through zoom um, we, I, I had our LA office summer program and we actually, you know, had a summer associate program this year. It was all virtual, um, oh, wow. which, yeah. which I had my, had my doubts about. Um, but we actually, you know, we managed to do a lot of obviously good work, um, virtually and remotely, but also have a lot of interesting, fun events, um, by zoom. Uh, you know, and of course it's not, not the same as being in person, but it, but it was, you know, it, it worked pretty well, I have to say. Um, so we, you know, we're hopeful to be back in the offices sometime. Um, I think, you know, in, in the U.S. offices, it's a slow process. Some of our overseas offices are back uh, in, in the office um, and, and pretty much fully up and running um, in person. And, you know, I think ultimately we'll, we'll get there as well. It's just going to, looks like it'll take a little bit longer. Do you think that COVID-19 has ushered in 
a bit of a, a sea change in terms of remote working. I mean, I look at Zoom and it's it's a remarkable piece of technology. Right? We we can get in front of each other from however far we are away. We can interact at a level that um, is very useful. Yes, it's not like being in person, you know, granted, but it's pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I, I think it is, um, in some respects, a sea change in how we do business. Um, you know, as a litigator, obviously, I'm used to, you know, going to the, down to the courthouse and suiting up and, and being there for hearings and motions and trials and what have you. Um, and, you know, of course, that's, that's eventually going to happen again. But in the meantime, you know, most of our court appearances are telephonic. Uh, most of the courts are, you know, now providing uh, video options. Um, and it's, you know, it's just becoming, you know, the kind of normal way we do business. So, I, you know, and the Zoom technology and, and other similar platforms is is revolutionary. I mean, I, you know, four months ago, five months ago, honestly, I hadn't even heard of Zoom. Um, and when when everyone got sent home, <laughs> you know, it, it very quickly became the way that we that we conduct most business. Um, and it works pretty well. I mean, I, you know, there's glitches sometimes if you lose your internet connection, you can, you can drop a, you know, drop a call, um, which is frustrating, but I would say that's been, you know, pretty few and far between. So I, I do think it's a, it's, you know, has changed the way we do business um, and will continue at least in some respect to, to change the way we do business. Although, you know, I think at, at some point we will be more back in back in the office environment and the and the courtroom physically and all that. But um, in the meantime, it's you know it's what we've all become accustomed to. Yeah, I wonder particularly about the courtroom environment because uh, it's so much more efficient to get on a a video call uh, with the court on some ministerial matter you're not there arguing a big motion. Um, well, I mean, right now you are, but, uh, but how much easier is it to, to deal with scheduling issues and you know, sort of perfunctory appearances remotely? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I think our clients probably will like it in some degree because it obviously saves costs, right? You don't have the, the travel time to get to the courthouse or if it's, you know, a, a case, you know, I argued a motion two days ago that was up in, Northern California. And, you know, I may have, because it was a big motion in, you know, in past times, I may have opted to, you know, travel up there and, and be there in person. Um, Cause I do think that's, you know, ideally you want to be in front of the judge and, you know, be able to sense the, the mood of the, the court and the, you know, the courtroom. But uh, you know, that said, we had the hearing by, by phone and I didn't have to incur any travel time and the hearing went, you know, went fine. And, and, you know, that the, the, uh, the matter was resolved. So, you know, I, I, I do think it's, there's a lot of positives to um, the current situation. Um, I, I'm, you know, as a trial lawyer, I'm, I'm skeptical, I guess I would say that we'll be able to actually conduct trials um, by zoom or, or, you know, by phone. I, I it's, it's hard to imagine how that works with a jury um, for example, but um you know, we'll, we'll see how that, we'll see how it pans out. So what's the best part about being a litigator and maybe what's the worst part? Oh, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, the best part to me is, 
you know, the challenge of it. I, 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 you know, I love the intellectual challenge of litigation. I'm, you know, a fairly competitive person. So I, you know, I like the idea of, of trying to, to win a case, you know, and, and um, out, out strategize the other side. Um, so that, you know, that kind of feeling of, of winning and, and um, you know, having a definitive outcome that is concrete and can say, yeah, we, you know, we won this case or we settled this case and it was a good result. I, I really enjoy that. The downside, I mean, I, I guess the downside I would say is sometimes um, having to deal with opposing counsel or, you know, others involved in cases who are unpleasant to deal with. Um, and uh, that can, you know, certainly wear on you. I, you know, I would say probably still the majority of my cases, I, you know, have professional, pleasant people on the other side and, you know, we can get along fine as, you know, professionals. Um, but, you know, I have had my fair share of cases where you just have someone very, very difficult on the other side and it just, you know, it, it's less pleasant to deal with, with folks like that. So that, and, and I think litigation just by its nature tends to, you know, bring out um, personalities like that sometimes that, you know, you, it is what it is. You have to deal with them and, and, um, uh, but it's, you know, that would be, I guess, the one unpleasant uh, attribute of a litigation practice. It's funny you, you mentioned the, the competitive aspect. I think we all are pretty competitive by nature, <clears throat> but the downside is some people are extremely over-competitive <laughs> and, <Exactly>. and unpleasant. <laughs> exactly. So there may be some people listening who aren't familiar with what a big firm partner does on a day-to-day basis. Maybe they're picturing you sitting around smoking a cigar, yelling at associates, <laughs> playing some golf. You know, what is your what is your typical day like? Well, so the typical day, I guess, you know, it depends on if we're talking pre-COVID and and you know in the current environment. Um, but it hasn't changed that much, other than the you know driving into work or driving to court um, on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, you know, a typical day for me. Um, is, I mean, it can really be because of the variety of my practice, it can be so many different things. But, um, you know, a lot of what we do is um, prepare briefs uh, to the court, you know, motion practice, um, discovery, and that that type of thing. Um, so, you know, as a partner, the work product is typically done, you know, at least kind of the first stage of the work product is done by our, our associates. Um, who are, you know, terrific. And then, you know, as a partner, my job on, on that side of things is to, to review documents and, you know, revise them, make sure they're, you know, court worthy or client worthy, you know, depending on what it is that, that we're talking about. Um, so that's part of it. Um, and, you know, the other, the other um, or one other big part of my um, daily routine is just dealing with my clients, um, you know, managing client relationships, um, dealing with billing, um, you know, making sure that kind of from a high level strategic focus, we're, you know, we're doing the right things on our cases and, and moving them forward and, and, you know, trying to, to drive good results. Um, and a lot of, you know, client interaction um, at the partner level, which, which I really enjoy. I mean, that's, you asked me what I, you know, what I like and what I dislike about my practice. You know, I, I definitely enjoy working with my clients. I, um, you know, I, I really, it's very satisfying when you can, you know, get a good result for, 
for a client, which helps them out of, you know, whatever the issue may be, hopefully in a, in a way that, you know, they're happy with and, and, um, and, and that they send you more business. So that's, you know, that's the, uh, you know, kind of the name of the game is, is um, developing the business and, and keeping the clients happy and coming back for, you know, whenever they have issues that they, they need help with. Um, so, you know, I guess those are a couple of the aspects. Um, the other thing is internal, you know, as a partner, um, we all have kind of firm related internal duties. Um, so like I mentioned before, I, I oversee our summer program. Um, so I, you know, I do a lot of the, the recruiting of, you know, new law students or um, lateral hires and the associate level, um, which, you know, takes a fair amount of time. Um, and, you know, there's other kind of administrative internal um, functions that take up a fair amount of my time as well. So you mentioned <laughs> business development as important part of what you do. What's your, I mean, there's a lot of ways to, to kind of crack that. What's your main approach to business development? Um, so my, my business development has, again, always been very relationship driven, um, which, you know, it's, it seems to me there's a couple of different ways you can be a good business developer. Um, one way is to, to have a focus, you know, like we were talking about before and, and really go out and market yourself as, you know, I am the, you know, one of the best, whatever it be, copyright lawyers in town, or, you know, one of the best uh, employment litigators in town, things like that. Um, and, and then you hope that clients, you know, come to you for that, for that specialty or, or that um, knowledge. My client development has been, I would say, more relationship driven in the sense that, you know, I have many, you know, former, either former colleagues from past law firms or former classmates from law school, um, folks in the, you know, in the community who are in positions of, you know, authority within their various um, companies. Um, and, and I have really probably brought in the you know, the majority of my clients through those relationships. Um, and, and that's probably why my practice is, you know, so varied across industries and different types of practices, because it's more of a personal relationship driven approach to business development that I've followed. And, and, you know, and part of that is why I really like working with my clients. I mean, some of my clients are, are close friends of mine. And, and, you know, so we will work hard together on matters. And then, you know, we'll go have a nice dinner. We'll go to a Dodger game. We'll, you know, do, do things like that. And I actually enjoy spending time with them and hopefully they enjoy spending time with me. <laughs> so, um, so that's, that's, but, you know, but it's a big part of being a partner is business development and business generation. And it's, you know, so it's, there's always kind of that, um, focus and, um, and, and it's, you know, obviously important to, to helping contribute to the business of the firm. So did you work more or less as an associate compared to as a partner? That, so that's another good question. Um, I would say, you know, probably in general more as an associate, um, at least with regard to, you know, kind of hardcore billable work. Um, you know, but as a partner, you're, you're kind of, you sometimes feel like you're working all the time, not, not necessarily billing, you know, on matters all the time, but, you know, you're kind of constantly looking for the next, you know, the next client or the next case, um, you know, dealing with internal uh, firm related issues. Um, so, 
it's a it's a different type of work i think as a partner um and so at the end of the day you're probably working as hard it's just a little you know it's a little different type of work i would say than than when you know from when i was an associate um but you know there were years as as you know when i was an associate um particularly as you know kind of a mid-level coming up through the ranks where you know there were there were <laughs> a couple of years where the hours were very very long and it was you know, it was uh, kind of 24-7 and um, pretty grueling. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the other thing as an associate is you have a little less control over your schedule and your calendar and your time because you're, you know, you're essentially doing kind of the work that's provided to you to do as opposed to having a little more control over over that work. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting... Um, evolution and, and process to go from being an associate to being a partner. And, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of different skills that have to come into play as, as a partner than you would necessarily have to have as an associate. Yeah. I think part of that, that idea of always being on probably resonate with a lot of people because in recent years, especially, you know, tech, as technology has gotten better, we always carry around the phone. We always, you know, most of us have a laptop around. We, can get on a zoom call at all hours of the day and night um do you find it more difficult to unplug or to dis you know disengage especially say you're going to go on a vacation you know is, how easy is it for you to, to unplug uh it's it is not easy um and you know part of that's probably my own personality um you know i it, it's funny because when i started practicing law there was no blackberry there was no iphone um so you you could disconnect more easily you know um and i remember i was probably a i don't know third year associate maybe second or third year associate when the blackberry came out and you know that was kind of the revolutionary device where you could actually get email on your on this little device when you you weren't in the office and um, you know, I remember at the time people being really kind of, um, concerned about it, you know, uh, because it, it did seem like you were now going to always be connected, uh, to, to your work and to the office. And in some regards, that's, that's true. And, and that's now the, you know, obviously the reality of practice. Um, but I think there's some good, good sides to that as well. Um, in that, because everything's so mobile um, and because you can be connected wherever you are, I think it's sometimes easier to, you know, to go on that vacation or to, to take some, you know, a day out of the office um, because you know that if you want, you can kind of keep tabs on, on what's, what's happening at the office pretty easily from really wherever you are. You know, if I, when I do go on vacation, I do try to unplug in the sense that I will, you know, put the phone away at least for the majority part of, the day <laughs> that I'm on vacation and then maybe carve out, you know, an hour or so, um, you know, either in the morning or the evening to just kind of check in on emails and, and see whether there's things that need attending to. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just kind of the, the reality of the practice these days, I would say. So let's rewind a little bit. Um, when did you first think to yourself, you know what, I want to be a lawyer? Well, you know, for me, it was early, I have to say, um, you know, probably in high school. Um, I was uh, always interested in public speaking and debate and things of that 
of that type. So I, I did that in starting in high school. Um, it seemed like it was, you know, my my skills in that area were well suited to be a to be a lawyer. Um, and I, you know, continued doing that type of um, activity through college, and then, you know, uh, decided pretty early on in college that you know law school was the best option for me. Went straight straight out of undergrad into into law school. Um, and then straight out of law school into private practice. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty straight line into what, you know, into what I do. So were you a debate team guy and all of that? I was, yeah. So both, you know, high school, both high school and college, um, I was involved in, you know, the, the debate teams and, and public speaking um, and then continued on in law school and was, um, you know, involved in the Moot Court program at USC for all three years and ended up being the chair of the Moot Court program my, my third year. So yeah, I was kind of, you know, always in my, um, in my DNA, I guess. That sounds very much like my wife. Uh -huh. She did all of that. Yeah. Um, how did you end up at Howry? Uh, so, well, Howry, now this is going back, you know, obviously many, many years. Um, I was an associate, a junior associate at Paul Hastings um, at the time and um, had only been there for a fairly short period of time. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't specifically recall how I, how I kind of found the Howry opportunity, but you know, I remember meeting with the Howry um, you know, litigation partners and, and associates at the time and, and just being really impressed by their, uh, you know, their litigation practice and, and the types of cases they were handling, you know, because Howry was 100% litigation focused, I, I found that very appealing, um, certainly at the time, because I was a, a young litigator. And I thought, you know, where, where, where better to learn litigation and trial skills than at a firm that, you know, that's what everyone around you is doing. Um, so that that's what attracted me to the firm. And, and I think that's, you know, what, what, uh, ultimately led me to make the move there as, as a mid-level associate. I think it was like three years, uh, out of law school, um, approximately. So pretty, you know, still pretty junior. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about your time at Howry. Sounds good. Lawyer Lee is brought to you today by our presenting sponsor, Array. With offices throughout the nation, Array is the litigation support partner that delivers speed, accuracy, and unmatched service. Array manages the logistics of litigation so lawyers can focus on winning their cases. For information on their discovery, managed review, deposition, alternative dispute resolution, and subpoena services, visit trustarray.com. That's trustarray.com. Today's show is also brought to you by eDepose, the electronic exhibit solution for depositions. With eDepose, attorneys can use exhibits during remote depositions, just like they do during in-person depositions. The best part, you don't have to learn a whole new process. Just mark, introduce, and distribute personal copies of exhibits to all participants in real time, the same way you always have. Learn more at edepose.com. And now, back to the show.
Welcome back. So when you think back on the years that you spent at Howry, are those fond memories for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I really, I view Howry as the firm that raised me as a lawyer, um, you know, kind of from baby lawyer to, <laughs> to grown up lawyer. Uh, I was there for eight years. Um, I worked with some incredible people, incredible lawyers um, who, you know, really mentored me as a, as a young lawyer. Um, and I really attribute to, you know, making me the lawyer that I, that I became and, you know, folks like Tom Nolan, who's, you know, just one of the best trial lawyers around and, and a great guy. And, and was, you know, I considered kind of my mentor while I was there, um, Joanne Caruso, Joanne Lishman, Dale Gialli. I mean, it was really a, a top group of, of really good people and, and really talented lawyers who were the kind of partners at Howry um, when, when I joined and, and then ultimately became a partner myself. Um, so yeah, the, the, the memories are very fond. We, we tried, uh, you know, multiple cases, um, which is always a very um, challenging, but, you know, really fun experience um, while I was there. And, and so those memories of those days were, are still very much, um, you know, in the forefront of my, of my, legal career and my uh, memory of, of my practice over the years. What do you think made Howry a great place to work? So I think, uh, number one, the people that I just mentioned, you know, really just good people and really good, good, smart lawyers. I mean, I always felt like we were, you know, kind of bringing the, the A team to our matters and, and really bringing a very, very high level of high quality of work to, to our cases. You know, and, and it was also just, you know, it's kind of a fun place to work too. You know, we, we enjoyed each other's company. We, you know, we would socialize outside of work um, a fair amount. And it, it was really a nice sense of camaraderie um, that we had. Uh, so working very hard, but, you know, also um, in, enjoying our, each other's company and, and you know, um, being with each other, whether it was, you know, working on a late night, uh, getting ready for a, a trial or a, a big hearing or, or just, you know, socializing or, you know, things like that. So it was, it was really a good place to work. Have you brought any of that with you as you've gone to other firms? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think I, like I said, I, because it was my formative years of my practice, um, you know, I think it was, I, I learned how to be, both a, a good lawyer as far as a, you know, practicing law and, and in a technical sense, but also just the way to treat, you know, people that either were your colleagues or, um, you know, even opposing counsel or, or your clients in a way that was um, professional and respectful and, and, you know, cooperative. And, and I've, I've been fortunate because I, I think that the firms, you know, after I left Howry, the firms that I've been at is, is just, you know, two, two firms since then, one being Hogan Lovells, um, where I currently am. But, you know, it's, it's, I've been lucky in the sense that each of the firms I've been at has had a similar feeling of collegiality and, and support. And, you know, they're, they've all been pretty nice places to work. Hmm. What's what maybe one of your favorite Howry memories? Oh boy, favorite Howry memories. So I have to say, we we had these two trials back to back um, in two thousand and 
2003, I believe, um, both federal jury trials um, for the same client, actually, um, against the same opponent. And at the time, I was, you know, probably a fourth and then fifth year associate, something at that level. And, and I was given a lot of responsibility in those cases. Um, they both went to trial, which, you know, for those of us who do commercial litigation is pretty rare. Um, and I really got to have a very active um, role in those cases, both in the pretrial um, you know, preparation for trial and at trial itself. And, and the lead on the case was Tom Nolan, who I mentioned before, who was just, you know, just a tremendous trial lawyer um, and really just a fun person to work with on, on cases like that. Um, and so the, the memories of those cases are probably the most vivid because I worked so hard on them for about two years of my life. Um, and just being, you know, we had this war room, you know, for these cases where we'd all be, the team would be, you know, sitting there working together, you know, day and night. Um, and just, it was a really fun team. Um, and it didn't hurt that we ended up winning both cases. So, you know, that, that always um, kind of puts the, puts the, uh, you know, the icing on the cake, so to speak. Um, but, but I would say those, those couple of years where we were, working hard on those cases and going to trial and, and fortunately prevailing at trial were, were probably my fondest memories. I think I learned as much as a junior associate from Tom about trial and about standing up in court as I learned in the subsequent many years. Uh, yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about your experience with Tom. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because it, it, looking back, I only actually worked with him, I think, for about four years. Um, but because he he had left the firm, left Howard before I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, exactly what you just said, Sean. He he was just the, in my view, the best trial lawyer I've seen still probably to date. I mean, he just had such a way with both judges and juries um, to be um, charming and, and articulate, um, you know, but with a full grasp of the case and, and what was being presented, uh, which always amazed me because, you know, he would obviously, you know, those of us who are more junior, were were doing a lot of the, the case workup and the prep and the, you know, the depots and the discovery and all, all of that stuff. And, you know, he would, he would get involved as, as things got closer to trial, but he would just, be able to grasp, um, you know, kind of the the entire case very quickly and present it in a way, you know, whether it be an argument of a motion to a judge or or presenting to a jury that was just so compelling, um, and, and in a, and in a in a way that was very um, I don't know what the word I mean, you know, he just had a certain like way about him that was professional and charming and, and people just wanted to, you know, believe his, his arguments. So uh, it, it was, it was for a young lawyer, really, you know, a great experience to be able to stand in court with him and, and, you know, see him in action and, and learn from him. So I, you know, I try to kind of keep the things in mind that, that he taught me uh, to, to this day, you know, in, in my practice. I share your opinion about Tom as he's definitely the best trial lawyer I've ever worked with and I've ever been around. Um, one of the things that 
one of my memories about him in particular that that really kind of set the stage for my time at Howry especially was I was a first year associate you may have been in this meeting actually but I was on this uh got brought in on this case and was had done some research uh, about some some issue we were going to to argue a motion might have been a summary judgment motion and I was in this war room with everybody kind of prepping Tom and everybody's talking about these these issues that he thought were going to be uh, front and center in the hearing and and they were um, and at at the end or in the, the middle of this he says well what do you think Sean mm-hmm. as a, a first year associate <laughs> yeah yeah and yep. I thought it was remarkable at the time I thought it was really remarkable at the time and it really struck me you know the that he would do that and it wasn't just a one-off he he wanted to engage with me yeah and wanted to know what i thought but years later i think it's even more remarkable to me um now that i have the perspective of what most (laughs) what most lawyers think of first year associates um yeah, no, that that sounds like I, I don't. I, I may very well have been in that meeting, but I don't recall specifically. But it, it's definitely in character for for Tom. I mean, he really wanted to hear the perspectives of everyone on the team, um, and you know, and and I think that helped him, you know, make a better argument and and you know, see the case um, as as a whole. So yeah, that that story does not surprise me. Yeah, and just the effect that it had on me that he the senior partner in the in the office for sure the leader of the office one of the leaders of the firm um you know was genuinely interested in what i thought about this issue it it was a little glimpse i think into the culture making at howry yeah that wasn't a one-off experience no 100 percent. i mean one of the you know going back to you asked me kind of why i joined Howry or, you know, why I made the move. I mean, one of the other things that happened in the process of me, you know, moving there, and again, I was a, you know, junior associate at the time was, you know, Tom really personally recruited me to come. And I remember he, you know, he had a policy where at the time he, he insisted that he meet every lateral candidate for, you know, to move to Howry, whether they be a partner or a junior associate or, you know, what have you. Um, And so I, you know, had a meeting with him as a, you know, second or third year lawyer, whatever it was. And um, he was just, you know, he kind of made you feel like I was really, you know, going to be an important part of the team. And he really wanted me to join the firm. And I thought, gosh, that's, you know, pretty, it's got to be kind of unusual for a guy who's, you know, running the, you know, the LA office of, of a major law firm, you know, a very well-known, you know, well-respected trial lawyer. And here he is, like, I think he even called me after the, the interview and was like, you know, Mike, we really want you on the team. You know, I hope you join us. I mean, it was, uh-huh. it really, it really was compelling that, you know, you felt like this, this was really a, a good move. And, and, you know, and, and you never, when you move firms, you know, it's can be a little bit of a, a scary experience because you, you know, you're, often leaving something that's relatively safe and stable to, to kind of take a leap of faith and, and move. And so to have kind of the, the guy at the top making you feel like you were really, he wanted you part of the team. I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a pretty special place. Um, so anyway, it was, uh, it was a good, you know, a very good move at the time for sure. 
And that, that was in 1998, I believe. So it's going, going back a long time. A little while ago. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> uh, so what's the most hours you ever build at Howry? Uh, so, you know, the, the, I guess the, the downside to those two years of working on those back-to-back trials that I mentioned earlier was it really was, you know, very um, all-consuming. So I think those two years I build uh, like 25, 50, 20, you know, somewhere in the, the 2,500s and then the following year somewhere in the 2,400s, you know, billable. Um, and those were, you know, to this day, probably my, my two biggest billable hour years um, in over my career. So it was, it was a pretty intense period of time. Yeah, that's grueling. I think anything above, in my experience, anything above 21, 2200, it gets, yeah. it's, a, it's an exponential curve. It, it is. And, the, and also the, you know, people, folk, people who, you know, don't work at big law firms or don't, you know, um, aren't familiar with the way things work, you know, it, you have to understand that means billable hours, right? So you're, you're, those are the hours you're billing. And then on top of that, there's, you know, inevitably hours of whatever it may be administrative stuff or, you know, um, so yeah, it was, those were intense, intense years, but I think really, you know, I kind of at the time had a sense that, you know, if I could get through it and, you know, that it was such good experience and, and good training for what I wanted to do, um, that it, you know, if I could get through it and, and come out the other side, it would, it would, you know, really benefit my, my career and my practice. And, and I think that that was, that was definitely true. So one of the things I ask about with all of my Howery guests is who is Uncle Howery? Uncle, <laughs> well, Uncle Howery uh, was, I think, wasn't that just the name we would use for, you know, like when we would go out for a nice dinner and we'd say, oh, well, this is, you know, thanks, Uncle Howery. This, <laughs> this is on Uncle Howery. Exactly. Uh, that, that's, that's my recollection. And, and I think, you know, we kind of joke about that with, you know, any law firm you're at, um, you know, where you, we, you could kind of translate that to thanks, Uncle Hogan, you know, or right. it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's similar. So, um, yeah, we would use that as kind of a fond, uh, you know, fond term for the, the firm itself, I guess. What's the most extravagant thing Uncle Howery ever covered on your watch? Oh, you know, well, the one thing I'll say about Howery was they did things right. You know, the, the, as far as the celebrations, I mean, it was a firm that really believed, I think, in working really hard, but celebrating our success. Um, and which, you know, was obviously in the end was, it was sad that, you know, that, that came to an end, but, you know, so we, um, couple things. I, I remember when I made partner, um, we, they had a new partner, um, retreat, uh, in Las Vegas. So we, we, um, they flew all the new partners from around the, the U S to Vegas. And we had this really wonderful dinner with, you know, the managing partner of the firm was there and spoke and, and other leaders of the firm. And it was, it was awesome. And they invited spouses and, you know, and, and that's just the way the firm was, you know, we, every holiday party, you know, it would be this big lavish party with spouses included and um, just, you know, really a celebration of, of our work and our efforts, um, which, which was really impressive. And then, you know, and then the part, once I became a partner, you know, the partner retreats were always just really, um, really very well done 
um, events in, in wonderful, fun places and, um, you know, very um, a, a real atmosphere of, of camaraderie and, and fun um, and just really top, you know, always top end, top, top notch in, in the way they would do those types of things. So let's talk a little bit about your experience of Howery's demise. You, you left before a while before Howery went under, right? I, I did. Yeah. So, um, it was, yeah, it was interesting. So Tom, um, Nolan left, um, shortly after I made partner. Um, so that obviously had an, you know, had an impact on, on me, <laughs> um, and it had an impact on the office, I would say. Um, so that was in, I believe 2004. Um, and I, I, you know, stayed at Howery for another four years. Um, and in 2008, I had an opportunity arose um, with a actually another DC-based uh, law firm, um, Errant Fox, uh, that was opening that had just opened an office in Los Angeles, um, and they were looking to build it. Um, they were looking for you know um, new partners to to come on board and and help build the office, and so they reached out to me and and recruited me to come join them. Um, which I did. And that was in 08. Um, and it was interesting because at the time it was right before the the great recession hit and, you know, things were still pretty good at Howery. I mean, I think they had had a very good year in 2007. Um, I think 2008 was, you know, on, on track. And so it was, a little, you know, it was definitely a leap of faith a little bit and a little bit of a risk for me to, to leave Howery and move over to Aaron Fox. And, you know, obviously it, it turned out to be the right move, just given what what happened with um, with Howry, which you know was very, I think it was very sad for all of us. You know, whether you were still there or had you know been there as as a, you know an attorney there over the years, it, it was hard to to see that happen. Did you have people reaching out to you at that point that were still at the firm or kind of associated with the firm? Uh, well, I was in contact still, um, with a number of people that were still there. Um, and, you know, so I knew, you know, I kind of knew what was going on and, and knew that the struggles, you know, and the challenges that the firm was facing. And, and, you know, even though I had left the firm, there was certainly no ill will or, or hard feelings. I, I was still, <coughs> excuse me, very close with a number of people there. Um, and, you know, it was just, so yes, I was in contact with them and I, I was obviously supportive of, of the efforts to try to kind of right the ship and, and turn things around. And it was, it was, you know, a very sad day, even, you know, even though I wasn't there, it was a very sad day when, when Howry had to close its doors. Um, you know, it was, that was, it was tough, obviously tougher for those who were still there, but, you know, tough for those of us who, who had been there as well. Yeah, I think that, well, it, it strikes me that that is maybe unusual that somebody who had moved on, you know, uh, would care about, you know, the firm going under. Uh, why, why did you care? Um, well, first of all, I had still had a lot of friends there, you know, um, and so to see your friend and, and, you know, a couple of my, my friends there were, were, you know, managed in management roles, um, you know, in the LA office, um, and so to see them struggle with, you know, what, with what was going on and, and really trying their best to, to turn things around, um, that was hard. And, and then just, I, you know, the staff at Howery was, 
was top notch, you know? And so, you know, most of you, you always figure most lawyers at a big firm like that, you know, they're, they're likely going to land on their feet. They'll, you know, and then go to other big firms or, you know, find other positions, you know, relatively easily, but, you know, you worry about the staff because it's, you know, it's more challenging for them. Um, and, and I had, you know, very good relationships with a lot of the staff members. So I was, that was, you know, I was worried for them. And, and I think we actually, I think Aaron Fox ended up hiring, you know, a couple of, of the staff uh, members who were, who were at Howry, you know, before it, before it went, went under. Um, so, yeah, so those, those were kind of all the, all the factors. So what's a career highlight for you post Howry? Well, that's a good question. Um, a career highlight post Howry. So it's interesting because, um, you know, the nature of our business and, and, you know, complex commercial litigation is, you know, we don't go to trial very often. Yes. Uh, so those, those trial wins we had in the Howard days are still and stick out in my mind as, as, you know, two of the most exciting, um, results, um, in, over my career. But, you know, since I've left Howard, I've, I've had the opportunity to work on many, many, you know, really interesting, challenging, fun cases. Um, and so it's, it's hard to say, oh, this one moment was, um, w- you know, was, was the one. I, I would say winning summary judgment, um, which also, you know, happens from time to time, but not overly often. Those, those victories stand out in your mind. Um, and I had one in particular at Aaron Fox where we, I, I won't, I don't want to mention names, but, you know, we were up against a very, very well-known um, high-profile litigator um, in, a, in a case that was worth a lot of money. Um, and we ended up winning the case on summary judgment um, where, you know, the other side really hadn't um, thought we had much of a chance of that. And, you know, that will forever stick in my mind as a really, you know, a good outcome. Um, and just because it's so recent this, you know, two days ago, we, I, I, uh, we won summary judgment on a, on another case for a, a longtime client of mine. In fact, this client has been a client since the Howry days. Um, interestingly enough, he, he's a, the general counsel of this company, he's moved around a bit, but the, the general counsel himself was, um, someone who, um, I've worked with since my Howry days. And so we had a case uh, in a, a real estate case that, um, we filed a summary judgment motion. And, it, you know, these, these, um, it, one of the fun things about our job is these judgment calls you make and, and decision, strategic decisions you make, you know, this was one where we kind of debated, well, do we file a summary judgment or not? You know, it's the judge didn't seem like he was very inclined towards, you know, granting such a motion, but we said, well, you know, we, we think we should win, you know, it, it, on the, on the law, on the facts, we should win. So let's do it. And we filed it and it got it, you know, I think we filed it back in like February and, you know, it got the, the hearing got pushed and pushed and pushed. And we just had the hearing two days ago and the, and the court actually granted the, the motion. So um, those are just really fun, fun days. And you get to pick up the phone and call your client and say, you know, we won. The case is over, you know, <laughs> uh, in our favor. So. Um, you know, and there's been a, a number of those along the way. And, and um, it's, it's like I said earlier in the, 
interview that the competitive juices that probably we all have as litigators, that's, that's really what you kind of live for is, is either the, you know, the jury trial victory or the summary judgment victory, or, you know, the, the situations where you really, there's, you know, no question that you're the, the winner and the prevailing party. Um, and, and, uh, those are, those are fun when they happen. So you got summary judgment granted at the hearing itself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also somewhat unusual, right? They, they often will kind of take it under consideration and then you have to wait around and, um, and yeah, this judge just, um, he was very, he didn't, and the other interesting thing, and this is, you know, kind of getting into the weeds a little bit, but you know, he didn't, um, have a written tentative. So going into the hearing, we really had no idea where he was leaning, um, which makes always makes it a little hard to prepare, right? So I was I was prepared to give my full spiel about you know the the from start to finish, and and when he took the bench, he actually had a tentative that that he essentially you know kind of rolled out on the from the bench, um, and uh, you know the tentative was in our favor. So that's you know that's always a good feeling when <clears throat> you hear the the tentatives in your favor because it's you know there are times when you can you can turn a judge around on a tentative, but it's, it's typically an uphill battle. So um, anyway, so that, yeah, so it was a good outcome and the client was very happy, obviously. That's great. How did you uh, pivot in that moment? You know, you, your argument strategy. Yeah. So my strategy when the tentative is in your favor is to say as little as you need to um, and mainly compliment the judge on how wise his or her uh, tentative <laughs> ruling is um, because uh, you know, they, they are, it's, it's, they're generally reluctant once they've taken the time and energy to come up with a tentative, you know, they're generally reluctant to, to change their mind, but you know, sometimes your opposing counsel can, can sway them. And, and there were moments in the hearing where, you know, obviously the, the plaintiff's counsel argued first about why, shouldn't enter summary judgment. Um, so, you know, I kind of had to key my arguments to what he was saying. Um, and, you know, there were moments where the judge sounded like he might've been waffling a little bit. And, and so the key there is really to come back strong and, you know, a remind the judge that, you know, his initial analysis was in fact correct and, and sound, and then address any of the, the points from the opposing counsel that you think, um, the court may have been considering or, you know, thinking about. So that, that's, uh, that's what I did. And, and it's, again, that's kind of the fun part of our job. I feel like, you know, you got to just kind of be able to think on your feet and pivot, as you say, to uh, address the issues that come up um, that sometimes you don't, you know, you, you think, you know, typically, hopefully you, you kind of can predict what, what issues will uh, come up, but not always, you know, sometimes there's something that comes a little bit out of left field and you have to, address it. So yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a fun day. It's, it's always fun to have those arguments and to come away with a, a victory at the end of the, at the end of the hearing. It's a wise approach. I think in my experience, the best litigators are the best strategists. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and it's kind of like a chess game, right? And, and I, I say that and I don't really play chess, but I mean, the, the, the concept of thinking, you know, not just what's in front of you, but what's, you know, two, two, three steps down the road. How, how are we going to position this to, to come out ahead? Um, and, and that was in this most recent case with the summary judgment, that's kind of what we did. You know, we just, we really had a game plan that um, we put into effect. The case had been going on for three years, so it's a, or more than probably close to almost close to four years. 
Um, so, you know, the things we were doing along the way were all toward, you know, focused towards, you know, how do we win this case and preferably not have to go all the way to a full-blown jury trial to win it because, you know, that just gets so expensive for the client. And, with you know, once you get in front of a jury that, you know, the things, it can be more unpredictable than uh, and in front of a judge sometimes certainly more unpredictable than you'd like yes exactly. uh, so we have a I have a few rapid fire type questions for you before we wrap up okay great uh, so what's your favorite thing to do to unwind so I uh, well first of all I have uh, three kids and a wife uh, and two dogs so I, I have a, a a uh, full household and I, I love spending time with with them and and we love to travel so um, you know th- those are those are things that I do. And, and also physical fitness is important to me. So I, I play a lot of tennis um, and, and jog and, and things like that. So those are, those are kind of the, the unwinding moments. What's a favorite place you've been recently on your travels? Well, last year was fortunately probably my biggest travel year ever. I, I went to a number of places that I hadn't been, um, including Argentina, which was phenomenal. Um, just had a great time there in, in Buenos Aires and then Mendoza, which is the wine country there. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Hong Kong on business, which I had never, never visited. Um, and also Berlin uh, on, a, on a firm uh, retreat that uh, also a city I'd never been to. So all of those were just tremendous, um, tremendously fun. And, and I'm glad I got to do them before they kind of shut the, shut the travel world down. It's a little different right now. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite lawyer joke? You know, I don't. Um, it, that I that that as a rapid fire topic, I'd have to probably think about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one. Tell there, you there's one. there's one that involves lawyers at the bottom of the ocean. I yeah. know, but you know, I, I, I'm not sure that's my favorite. Everybody remembers that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, what do you get when you cross the Godfather with a lawyer? I don't know. An offer you can't understand. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, what's your position on lawyer shows? I like them. Um, I actually like the ones that are a little more skew, a little more realistic, if you can call it that. Um, so I used to be a big Law and Order fan. I, I thought that was just a great show because it was not, you know, it was a little more serious and and thoughtful than some of the other ones. Um, but I will say that you know part of the reason that, and this sounds this will sound a little bit silly, but part of the reason I originally got interested in being a lawyer was because of L.A. Law back in uh, the the nineteen <laughs> the nineteen eighties. I was I was a you know teenager and and just thought that was a really fun, entertaining show. And and um, so I thought oh, I want to be one of those L.A. lawyers. You're you're one of them. So for those who may not know. When LA Law came out, there was a a marked uh, bump in the people that went into law school and went into the law. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and what what's one thing you've learned about yourself during the COVID crisis? Oh boy, that's a that's an interesting one. Um, you know, I think I've learned that I can that I'm, I'm happy to be at home and I can work from home, um, comfortably, you know, there's a certain being a litigator and, you know, there's a certain feeling like I got to, you know, put on a, a nice suit and go into, you know, my nice office and, um, you know, feel that kind of, this is, this is the way we're supposed to be. But, you know, I've really kind of 
grown accustomed to being at home. You get more time with family, which is great. Um, you don't have to put on a suit <laughs> almost ever. Uh, and, and you, great. <laughs> yeah, and you still can get your work done and be productive and, um, you know, and, and so I, I've, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised that, you know, I don't miss really the, the whole, you know, kind of going into the office and, and then doing that, uh, daily, daily routine. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, It's been my pleasure as well. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks to Michael Turrell for joining us today. And thanks to our presenting sponsor, Array. Learn more about Array at trustarray.com. Thanks as well to our show sponsor, Edipose. Join us again next time as we continue the How Redoing Now series here on the Lawyerly Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to Lawyerly and give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Production services for today's episode are by Four Hours of Sleep. And the music for the show is by Rhythmic Revival. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Kennedy of Herrera Purdue.